Welcome to Leash Connects Podcasts, where we explore a wide range of lifestyle topics with the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. My guests today are Natalie Hogan. Natalie is a Positive Leash Coordinator with Youthwork Ireland Leash. Natalie Service works with young people aged between 10 and 24, providing needs-based services and supports. We also have Maeve Murphy. Maeve is an assistant lecturer in psychology in IT Carlo. Areas that Maeve is most interested in are understanding mental health and mental illness with people who are unemployed and with students. Currently the project manager for the Department of Humanities, Athena Swan application, so very interested in gender equality in third level education. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking with young people or for young people. So what we've done is we've asked young people to tell us what it is that they'd like us to talk about. So he says we're doing a podcast in and around the area of mental health or mental health well-being. And what would you like us to talk about? So Natalie, you have chatted with young people and they've come back with themes. And then we've asked them then to break those themes down into questions. So this podcast is me presenting those questions to you guys and you guys are going to share your youth worky knowledge type stuff and your psychology type knowledge type stuff to try and give a young person some type of sense of how to maybe address some of the issues that are coming up for them. Is, is that far enough? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, nobody here is a counsellor, nobody here is a psychotherapist. No, no. But we're all grown-ups. Yeah. We've all been a young person. We work with young people. We've been around young people. So we have an idea of how life works from our own our own little bubble. So I think there's nothing wrong with us sharing our views and our and our ideas and these these types of things. So what we'll spend the next little while doing is going through some of the questions. There was lots of questions and some really, really good questions. However, we don't have all the time to address them. But maybe we'll go back and we'll address the ones that, that we can't do today. Is that okay? Is that Perfect. Fair, is yeah. that fair enough? So the first question, I think this is an absolutely brilliant question. How do you deal with growing up when you feel mentally unprepared for the world? It's, first of all, to situate the question, what does it mean to be a young person? And the age groups, I suppose, are important. I'm really conscious that there's been a lot of research to say that we have to think about what constitutes an adolescent, what constitutes a young person, what do you mean by mentally prepared? And what the research is telling us is that typically adolescence, you know, is defined as between 10 and 19, and then young people are up to 24. But what's changed over time is that, number one, puberty is hitting a lot earlier, and that we are seeing a lot more young people move into education and further training into early 20s. And it's not really constituting the typical adult type role that maybe historically it would have been. So I think that when we talk about being mentally prepared, it's that mental preparedness, I suppose, for transitions and moving on. And and if adulthood is being pushed to later in their 20s, you know, and still at the same time, when you move into third level, you're being asked to live independently, to be able to learn independently how do you navigate the expectations that are there for you and actually the skill sets that you have? So I think when we talk about mental preparedness, we really just have to bring it back to basics and think about, well, who are you? What stage are you at? What's the position that you're moving into? And then how can you break it down into something smaller and more manageable? Because mental unpreparedness is this, you know, such a a large thing or idea that really what do you feel unprepared about? 
So if you're talking to a young person in general and they say, I feel totally unprepared for growing up. Well, what are the expectations of growing up for you? Like what stage in your life are you at? Is it that, you know, my experiences with people coming into college. So is it that there's a transition that you're coming into college and there's a lot of expectations around what that means? So you have to live independently or you have to study and The research shows us, particularly some research from the UK, when they asked students, what's the expectation of going to college? And they really felt that, you know, when they went to college, there would be lots of structure in place that they would be required to do so much. And really, when you come to college, it's independent learning and you're actually sent off on your own. So I think when you're trying to be mentally prepared, we have to break down what is it that I am feeling unprepared about? And then how do we build resilience around that? And that takes support. Resilience doesn't just manifest itself one day. You don't wake up and feel, I can do this. It's being able to incrementally manage smaller things with help and support and assistance. So if it is, for instance, that you're dealing with a young person who's coming into college for the first time and they're feeling mentally unprepared and you're trying to figure out where that unpreparedness is around. If it's about living independently, you know, I was thinking about when I first went to college and my family first went to college and I remember my brother coming home one weekend and he said, mom, I need to know how to make bacon and cabbage. (laughs) And that was it. And she said, why? And they had made a decision in the house that one night everyone would cook a different dinner. And his favourite was bacon and cabbage. So if he knew how to cook that, that was him sorted for the rest of his academic career because he could make (laughs) it one night a week. So in terms of mental preparedness, we need to encourage young people to try and, you know, focus on themselves. What's worrying you? Can you think about it realistically? How can we break that down into small manageable trunks and then put things in place that support that? Because transitions aren't easy. Becoming a grown up, the expectations of adulthood and yet everyone not being so clear on when you are an adult and when you're not. It's like they give you responsibility but at the same time take it away and then they expect certain things of you without supports being available. So I think we have to manage that and we manage young people in terms of not we manage them, but we manage them to understand what support is and how to access support and that you can ask for help with things and and who those good people are to to look and to support it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also like it's completely normal. Even as adults, we go at their stages where we don't feel prepared for starting a new job or mm-hmm. starting a new path in life. I think it's completely normal. I think sometimes young people think adults have it all figured out. That we just, you know, know everything. If only they knew. <laughs> oh, only they knew we're yeah. winging it. Like, oh, yeah. Completely. And I also think life skills is a huge one. I think a lot of young people, because they've been so dependent on their families and stuff like that, that they really, really feel that they're not prepared at all to live this whole life on their own. And um, so one of the things that we really promoted this year was life skills, because young people just felt they didn't have the skills to like go to college they were clueless like I don't know how to use a washing machine and while they're simple things they're things they really wanted to know do you know how to cook a healthy meal on a budget so one thing that we used to do was they all had to throw in like two euro three euro into a pot add up their money and they'd have to go to super value and decide what they were going to cook for like 40 people maybe this was pre-covid by the way so like I think in that way I think it's really for young people, sometimes it's they feel they don't have the skills or they're not capable of being independent. But I think they are like, I think they just maybe they don't have the confidence Mm -hmm. in themselves. But I think it's completely normal to feel mentally unprepared. And as Maeve said, it's just about managing your expectations of what they expect from life, really. Is the grown up world a scary place, do you think, from a young person's perspective? 
I think from everyone's perspective. Yeah. Okay. Do you know there used to be this thing where it's like you graduate, you do your leave and start, then you have to go to college. And after college, you should get married, get a job, get a house. Do you know, have a child. There's so many options now, I think, for young people, for adults, for, I mean, you even look at people in their 50s now changing careers. There's so many options that as a young person, it's not as clear cut as what it used to be. Okay. Do you know one time it was like, right, you go to college or if you don't go to college, you do a trade. You come out, you get a job, you go, you get married, you have your kids, have a home, you stay in that career for like 20 years, raise your family, have your grandkids. And that was life. But that's a responsibility, I think, for a lot of us as adults that we ensure we're not engaging in that rhetoric whereby, you know, we kind of encourage people to do the safe decision or the job for life or you have to go to college. I think there's an under probably emphasis put on maybe trades or alternative routes that people can take that don't involve that you have to go to college. I remember in the first couple of weeks of every semester, I like to ask first year students online anonymous questions just so that they can give feedback into classes. And often what I see is that they feel they have to go to college. There's just this expectation that you go on to third level. And it's not for everyone. There was an interview, I was reading part of it this morning, between Tommy Tiernan and Ray Darcy, and they were talking about the CAO offers and their choices and their points. And he said he applied for nothing and he got nothing. <laughs> you know, and he he said that it just wasn't for him. That And he can totally get the sense that if you are academically minded and you like it, being invested in that knowledge, that an education system is probably very, very supportive of you and there's a clear path of, of where you're going. doesn't mean it doesn't get muddled along the way, but there's yeah. a direction to it. Whereas if you're someone who doesn't get anything out of it and ultimately you don't find out until later in life that you maybe didn't need it, it's a very tough place or situation to be in. So it's, I suppose it's supporting people in, in what's right for them and, and trusting young people that, you know, they are experts in their own lives. Like during adolescence, you do mm. not have everything figured out. You don't. And it, it's a trial and error stage. It's supposed to be. But it's it's allowing them room to try to support them in what they're doing, to ensure healthy boundaries and that you're there for them if and when they need you. Yeah. So it's a it's a balance. It's a real tricky balance. But it'd be fair to say then, like, how do you deal with growing up when you feel mentally unprepared? Would it be fair to say that it works out, like eventually it works out? I think it works out with the right people in place. I think, you know, yeah. people are key to it. And, you know, all of us here are yeah. invested in that idea of one good adult, I think. And, you know, knowing that people have a support for them. But I think sometimes maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, that young people feel that there is no one, that they don't know who to turn to. They don't know who that person might be, but they do exist out there. And the other thing I think that's a typical clash area is that sometimes people are seen as being unhelpful because they're pushing you to do it for yourself. And that's a hard balancing act to get that, you know, you are putting it back on young people that you're there to support them. But the work is theirs to do to, to try and figure it out, because ultimately what you want to do is provide them with their own skill set yeah. for when the next issue comes, because an, another issue will come and another challenge will come and, and that's life. So we're trying yeah. to support that and help them develop those skill sets. Yeah. How do you deal with feeling like you don't fit in with your friends anymore? I don't have anything in common. Again, I think that's completely normal. I think, yeah. look, I think that throughout your lifetime, that's going to happen. I think as people, we can outgrow each other. And I think it's completely normal. I think sometimes, you know something, I think the biggest issue with that sometimes is letting go of the past and letting go of times you've shared with that person. I know with young people we have, and especially the current times, this really came up with a lot of young people. Okay. That they just felt like they changed maybe as a person throughout this, and they didn't fit in their friendship groups, you know. 
the jokes, what they used to find funny, they didn't find that funny anymore. And it can be quite hard. I think it's, oh, yeah. I would say, similar to grief. And especially yeah. for young people. I mean, their peer group is the most important thing in their world. More important than family, more important than school, anything. So it is almost like a grieving process that they go through. But sometimes I think it's really important to know that it's completely normal. It doesn't mean like you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you hate that person. I think it's just completely normal to outgrow each other. How do you deal with that, though? Not fitting in a place where you once belonged, you no longer fit in there anymore. I think you need to, it's proactive on the person's part that they need to figure out, well, where do I fit in? And that's that's a really big, complex issue because it's your identity. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to belong somewhere. And during adolescence, you like to fit into a group. So when you no longer fit in there, you're really questioning, well, why am I different from them? So it really is about trying to figure out, well, if I don't fit in there, which is, is fine, you have the entitlement not to be part of one particular group. You have the autonomy to belong to wherever you feel you fit. So it's about trying to figure out where do I fit in? And I think with social media as well, I am a big fan of social media. There are lots of down points to it, but I actually think a lot of it can be very helpful when used in the right way. And oftentimes with younger people, it's about changing the narrative of the information that they're exposed to or the content they're exposed to. So we know that like from the research, the social norms tell us that if your social norm in your group is that you spend a lot of time online, then you will spend a lot of time online and you will probably follow the same content. So what you're trying to do is break the content cycle. Can you change what you're following, who you're engaging with online to remove yourself maybe from the friendship? Because at the current moment, friendships are online. They're in a social space. Mm. So can you change that social space? Um, And something, again, I ask students and something I try to do regularly is to clear my social media account. So go through it and see who am I following for absolutely no reason that I followed on a whim that I don't need to follow anymore. Are you on Instagram yourself? You know, no. <laughs> okay. There's a function on Instagram that allows you to see the accounts that you've most interacted with. OK, so you okay. get a good idea of what are the kind of things that I usually like to follow. So I'll embarrass myself here and I'll show you <laughs> what I'm following. Uh, most shown in my feed, boutiques, the female lead, black and Irish, shoe style, Rosanna Purcell, RT <laughs> News, The Guardian newspaper, Willowbrook House, Laura Whitmore, Joshua Walwick, another boutique. If you had looked at my account a year ago, I guarantee it would have been a a lot different content. So I think we can change the exposure we have to certain types of information and that might help us to see other people who are interested in in different things and maybe we can shift or change our interactions on the basis of that. You know, that's maybe possibly easier online. It's harder when, you know, you just don't turn up maybe at the football field and people are saying, why didn't you turn up for training or why haven't you been here? And it's a very obvious thing. Whereas online, maybe you can very subtly start to change the content you're interacting with that might give you an alternative view that there are actually other things going on in your area that you might fit in a little bit better with and there are other people there who Is sport important? I think sport's crucial Mm -hmm. as a young lad I knew sport was very important Mm -hmm. but I also was clever enough to know that I shouldn't just focus on one sport that should have so I would have had a couple of different sports with two completely different peer groups Mm -hmm. and it meant then that if I didn't make a career here (laughs) Just back up or, or vice yeah. versa. But there were two completely different peer groups, mm. completely different sports. I found that really, really helpful and been able to navigate just the complexities of mm-hmm. being young and peer identity or group identity. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be particularly sporty. Mm-hmm. I've got two boys. My boys are, are nine and 11. They engage in a wide range of sports. Now, you could say like that's a big diary for, for young kids. 
But my wife and I, our sort of view is it's not about performance. It's about giving them exposure to you know, just different types mm -hmm. of groups of people. Mm -hmm. And they're young enough not to need to specialise in any particular sport. But I certainly know from some of the sports that they're engaged in and some of those sports that have teenagers there, mm -hmm. that there's just a varied mix of relationships going on. It's not the sport that's their identity. It's not even the group. Mm -hmm. It's the crack they're having yeah, in yeah. but I'm just mindful that not everyone is is into sport or as Maeve said I think there's so many different options again for young people to try that it's like as you said you are involved in two sports if young people want to try sports they want to go to five different sports teams and see if there's one person in the group they like or that they okay, can yeah. have a laugh with I remember a youth worker telling me before when he was like 16 he lived in a rural area and he joined a rosary club because he was like oh shit there's a great laugh there and I was like but you had to say the rosary he found a sense of belonging. So you can imagine that would be a good crack. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, like yeah. he found a sense of belonging there yeah. and he loved it. And he was like, but the rosary was the only one part of it. Yeah. I found great people. You have the laugh, you have a chat. Yeah. And he was like, I went to it for years. Yeah. There's different, so many different things you can try, especially online now. Like I know a lot of the young people are doing Animal Crossing. No idea what that is. It's a game online, but you can interact with it which has become huge Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Mm -hmm. Kind of finding different friendship groups now, I think, online. Will they last in the real world? But, you know, a social connection is a social connection. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, we have to mediate that as best we can. So I think while the optimal idea would be that we get children out there exposed to as many different groups of people as possible, I think we just need to be able to show them how can we navigate that in a different way. We just need to adapt the focus yeah. of it. All these things are skills that we all have and they have. It's just we have to realise the how transferable they are yeah. to just to other settings and environments. And just with the sport point, I'm not sporty at all and would have grown up in a sporty family and really didn't like sport because I felt like I because everyone else liked it and I didn't that I didn't belong to it. So I think you just find what you belong to. So I joined the drama group and, you know, the art okay, class. Yeah. And, you know, that was my thing. So it's just to say that there are things out there for everyone. But I the thing I do love about sports is that it's the sense of connection to the team that's really important and the sense that if it's not about the winning, but it's all participating in it together. There's great value to team or orientated activities. Yeah. yeah. My wife's a Scot and she grew up playing individual sports. So they've mm -hmm. been golf, they've been tennis, they've mm -hmm. been swimming, they've been horse riding. So they were there sort of four main sports. Mm -hmm. She struggled with like Ireland, she found very, say, GA orientated, very yeah. team oriented. And yeah. um, I want my boys to have a mixture of both. That's mm -hmm. not all about that. Because the day that you could drop from your team, oh yeah, you know, or you have a problem with your team, yeah. then you're and you're playing tennis, you're playing golf, or you're swimming. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you, yeah. and your your own thoughts, and you're just putting in in the graft. Yeah. Next question then: What can I do if I find myself getting overstressed and overthinking? Oh, I suppose it's back to the basics. I would love to tell you that there's a, a magic potion or pill that helps people to not do that. But there's not. It's the really simple, basic things like the like the HSE Little Things campaign was, you know, the essence of it was how do I protect my mental health by just grounding myself? Um, and I think we just need to like we all overstress at the moment. You can't see me. But I have lovely cold sores all over my lips because I'm particularly stressed at the moment because I have lots of projects going on. So I knew about a week ago, I was thinking, oh, I'm getting ratty. I know I'm stressed. So what am I going to do to try and alleviate mm. this? Yeah. So I've made a conscious effort over the last week to get up in the morning, bring the dog for the walk before I drop my son to childcare and before I start work. I've also started wearing my husband's Fitbit because I'm sitting at the desk all the time and it beeps every hour to tell me to get up because I haven't moved. Okay. So I've just found that little changes can actually make a big difference. And the other thing with me and, and 
trying to personal experiences of stress is that I can't do meditation. I cannot switch my brain off to be able to sit and meditate. I can't do it. So I tried to find other ways to be mindful. And, you know, anything I've read that sticks with me with mindfulness is just being present in the present. So just stay and focus on one thing. So the gardening, for instance, <laughs> has helped with that. I like the idea of just focusing on what I need to get planted and what I need to get done. And that clears my mind because I'm focused on that task. Or cleaning. So for any of the hinge followers, <laughs> hinge, I find that again, it's methodical, it's purposeful, and that's a good way to just focus on a task. So if you're someone who's overthinking and you find that if you try to stop and quiet your mind and you can't do that, and then it's just more and more overthinking and overthinking, sometimes other activities that focus you on the present and you are engaged in are more helpful than trying to just stop your mind from being on, on a loop of mm. the same content. But you know. Yeah, I think it's really important to ground yourself. Mm. I think before you get to that point where you're getting cold sores and stuff, mm. your body is giving out signals. Mm -hmm. So we all have different signals in our body that we know we're getting stressed. Like mine is if I stop sleeping, it's like, oh, I'm getting stressed because my sleep will just completely go AWOL. So I think it's important to know the signs that, of when you're getting stressed. We leave nearly too late mm. where we're completely completely stressed out grounding yourself is really important like I'm a huge believer in you need to stop ground yourself you find something to do your thought processes so I know like there's always this kind of positive mindset which is not easy it isn't but I also think it's really important like if you look at overthinking and you ask the majority of people well what do you say to yourself when you're overthinking it's usually like you're an idiot you should have done this you should have done that if you'd have done this different, things would be different or you're not doing this enough. And it's all really negative. Like I know statistically, I think 80% of the stuff that we say to ourselves is negative, which is not nice. So like when I'm in a group, I always say to the young person in a large group, like turn around to the person next to you and tell them they're an idiot. And they're like, oh my God, <laughs> no, I cannot do that. And I'm like, but you do it to yourself all the time. From sometimes, you know, if you get up in the morning and like spill coffee. I have a habit of doing that in the mornings when I'm half asleep. And you're like, oh my God, you idiot, you're after doing it. Like we're not nice to ourselves okay. at all. And I really think part of, you know, the overthinking and overstressing, it's often tends to be negative on ourselves. So I think it's really important to try and replace those negative words to ourselves with just one positive thought. Um, and I know it's hard, but like it is an attitude of gratitude. So it's like, oh, I'm so happy it's not raining today. Mm. Just one little simple thing. I also think it's really important. Me personally, time on your own is really good. Time away from social media on your own. Like, I think the one thing I know for me and everybody laughs at me because they say, oh, I'm your people person. I spend every Sunday at the beach on my own. I would have to go on my own. Nobody's allowed with me, with my dog. And that's it. And just to take your shoes off, like feel the sand, feel the water, listen to the waves. And do find out one thing that's just for you. Now, I know realistically, not everyone can go to the beach. Some people yeah. probably hate the feel of sand. But I think it's important to find that one hour of week that's just yours where you can just ground yourself. And I don't think we do enough of that, to be mm. honest. I think young people, especially, you know, if you ask a young person, how many of you go walking? And they'll all put their hands up. Then you say, well, how many of you go walking without headphones? without any noise, without a friend, mm. all the hands go back down. 
Do you know? So I do think it's really important because that hour you have alone will ground you. You listen to your body. Do you know if your hands are sweating, you're saying, okay, well, why am I sweating so much lately? Or why am I getting so many headaches lately? What's really bothering me? Mm. And then when you know the root of the problem, you can start to kind of, I suppose, cope better with it, almost put a plan in place for it. Like Maeve's like, oh, I'm getting cold sores. Go buy a bottle of pink stuff and start start cleaning. Go buy some shoes. <laughs> yeah. Go on Instagram. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, it's simple little things you can do will make a huge difference to how much you'll overthink or how much you'll overstress. Does the overthinking create the stress or does the stress create the overthinking? They're just so intertwined. You yeah. know, they just tend to eat into each other that, you know, I'm overthinking something, so I'm stressed. And then because I'm stressed, I'm overthinking the situation. It's really hard to pull those two things apart. Yeah. So we just have to be aware that they're together and that one can have a knock on effect on the other. And I think everything that we talk about in terms of helpful strategies, we also have to acknowledge the fact that there are lots of very unhelpful coping strategies and to just acknowledge and maybe check in, well, am I relying more on those than I am on the maybe the easier things to do? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, like are you smoking more, drinking more caffeine, are you drinking a little bit more? You know, what is not helping? Absolutely guilty of myself that when I just want to zone out, I'll just go onto social media for five minutes and an hour and a half later, I'm still flicking through stuff mm. and it's just you try to do it as a distraction but it's an hour and a half wasted you're probably more annoyed over something you've seen so it's just think about what you're doing what your day looks like and see where you're spending your time and where you could change something very small and see how much of a difference that that can make and, and mm. challenge those negative things and talk to people I always say social supports are really important so I call them like my 4am people and they're your real people like if I needed someone at four o'clock in the morning, who would I call? Not just, you know, my 500 friends on Facebook or whatever. But it's really important, like, to talk. Like, I'd be a real ranty person if something's bothering me. So I just yeah. need to blurt it out and talk about it. And I have a friend, she's so calm and she's like, OK, OK, yeah, fine. She's like, you done now? And I'm like, yeah, fine now. <laughs> <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, on Instagram, obviously. No, we voice note each other. So she's a youth worker also. So like every evening after work, we have like a little peer reflection day. <laughs> but like if there's an issue, we'll just blurt it out to each other, talk about it. But then she'd also break it down for me. She's like, yeah, but you could do this, you can do that, which is really helpful. Yeah. But the other thing in that is that a lot of young people as well have a fear of saying something and it will make them appear silly or you know that inconsequential or that someone will react negatively to it and it's that kind of comparative piece as well I suppose that young people maybe want to tell someone and are afraid to say oh my god what will that person think of me if I yeah alert that out and it's such a rational thing that they're probably all feeling absolutely the same thing or have been overthinking about the same thing it's a know? social norm gap so it's the belief that I feel a certain way but no one else in my peer group feels the same way when actually that gap is not that wide people think the same thing and yeah. I find if you ask people to you know close their eyes and say I, I asked a group last year to put up your hands close your eyes and put up your hands if you've made an excuse because you didn't want to drink on a night out you know and the majority of the class put up their hands and then I told them to put down their hands and I said would you believe me if I told you that you know the majority of you all here have made some excuse because you didn't want to drink on a night out so rather than just saying I don't want to drink. They've said, I have a match in the morning. I have an exam in the morning. Okay. I'm on antibiotics. Yeah. Because they, they they just feel that they can't say, I don't want to drink tonight because 
fear of why what's wrong with you why won't you drink it you know come on have a bit of crack drink the drink have the shot you know so I think our fear of what we think about ourselves and what we believe other people see themselves that gap we just need to narrow that gap in people's perceptions and genuinely being obvious about that to young people is probably the best way to do it and do activities you know, they're not going to take from me that say, I know you make excuses because I've made those excuses when I didn't want to drink. And they're looking at me to say, yeah, but you haven't a clue what's going on in our lives. And I, I don't, I have no idea what's going on in their lives right now. But if you get them in groups where you can show them that actually other people who are your peers also feel a similar way, there's comfort in that. There's a solidarity in that. There's these light bulb moments where they go, you think that too? Just thought it was me, thought I was odd, weird and different. <laughs> and that, that doesn't change even... No, like we do an activity in one of the groups where it's a social support wheel. So you have to write down your social supports and you get it's like a piece of paper and a pen. And you could have 20 young people in the group and oh, I can't fit them all in all my friends. And like they're going on and on. And then and it's actually when you do it with older people, well, adults, um, (laughs) there's such a difference. And then you say to them, okay. But I'll give you a scenario. So it's 12 o'clock at night. Your dog has gotten sick and you need somebody to bring you to the vet. Who could you call? So you need to mark out the people you can't call. And like you should see all the exes going down. And they realize they actually only have two or three really dependable people in their lives that they can talk to about anything that they can go to for anything. And I think it's really important as young people that you realize you can be part of a large friend group. But there might be only two or three within that friend group that are good social supports for you, that are healthy relationships, that are not draining you, that are, I suppose, giving you as much as and taking as much, you know, because I think it's really important to have those healthy friendships at a young age, at any age, but especially at a young age. How do I find new ways to stay positive? Good question. <laughs> um, I suppose just take it as an opportunity for change. If you are trying your best to feel positive, I think in the current climate, you have to just reflect on the fact that we're in a certain situation. We're all together. There's a common purpose in that. When we're trying to stay positive, again, I really think you have to be mindful of the information you're exposing yourself to and whether or not, you know, it's hard to stay positive because everything I see and I hear is so negative. And maybe there are things going on that are not great at the moment. Maybe there's something very personal going on in your life that's really difficult and really hard. But we can often balance things that are really difficult and hard with things that help us stay on an even keel. It's just trying to find the information that encourages that. We can engage in these loops, these confirmation biases, where we just seek out more and more information in a similar vein or a similar line that keeps telling us the same thing. Everything is terrible. Everything is really bad. The future is hopeless. I'm hopeless. And we just, we can keep feeding into that cycle. So if, we seek that? Well, we not that we seek it, but we can we can get into these situations where it's all we expose ourselves to. Okay. So if you think back to the social media and you look at who you follow online, do they all send us a similar particular message? And actually, you're not exposing yourself to, to what are called counterfactuals to challenge, you know, an opposing thought or an opposing opinion. Now, for young people, that's very hard because you're so invested in particular ways of thinking that to deviate from that or be different from that makes you seem different or odd. But when you're trying to be positive about things, sometimes you need to step away from the information. And again, with young people and negativity online, if you're all targeting certain people online, if you follow people online just for the 
the sake of giving out about them or, or making comments about them. You know, that negativity can just it can seep into who you are. It can really start to have an effect on people. So we have to change the content. We have to change the exposure. We have to think about viewing problems from a different light. That things aren't always difficulties. They can be challenges. They can be opportunities to change, to navigate life in a, in a slightly different way. So it can be really hard to stay positive, particularly when the, the overriding message is that is doom and gloom. So we have to seek out other ways to remain positive through changing the information that we're exposing ourselves to, changing people that we are exposed to sometimes, because there are always naysayers. There are people, you know, who will tell you that there is something wrong in everything. Even when there's a positive, they will find a flaw in it and a fault in it. Um, that's not always helpful. So can you change the narrative, change the information you're exposing yourself to and then try smaller ways to remain positive that, you know, there are simple things that you have control over in your own life that can stay positive and, and you can never be positive all of the time. Looking at a plant there, thinking of the gardening, when we started planting stuff and our neighbours said, who helped us, uh, you know, things will die. They just won't survive in the soil. It won't suit them and you'll have to dig them up next year and, you know, forget about it. And I was thinking, no, this is going to look perfect. Everything is exactly the way I want it. But, you know, things have died. <laughs> they have had to be dug up because I didn't care for them appropriately or they didn't suit the soil, as I like to say. But I think in life, we have to think that, you know, we seek in the positive. So lots of plants did survive and I have managed not to kill lots of them. You know, that's a positive thing. And you can always skew things to a negative light. And there are certain times where because we're engaged in so much negative content and thought that, that our mind automatically flips to that as a default mode. So we really have to challenge yourself and we have to be prepared for people who will challenge us as well to think slightly differently about things. And a lot of work, you know, I'm not a psychotherapist, but a lot of work in therapy is around, you know, challenging those negative thoughts and, and, and how can you remain more positive? So keep it simple, keep it focused on simple things and just check what kind of information you're exposed to. Maybe you need to take a break from social media. Maybe you need to take a break from news outlets. Just thinking about the smaller things that you have control over that you can change that will actually make a difference in, in the positive things that are in your life. Mm. Yeah, again, your thought process. Like I'm a big CBT person, <laughs> but I do believe your thoughts affect your feelings and affect your behaviours. And I think, again, one positive thought every day can change your day. I think that's proven like and there's loads of, do you know, I have like an app on my phone that when you get up in the morning, it asks you a different question and it has to be something positive. It can be simple things like that can actually start you off on the right path. I also think, as Maeve said, like what you expose yourself to, what kind of people you're around, they can drastically bring your mood up or bring your mood down and your expectations. What do you expect from the day? So if you're, I don't know, if you're meeting a group of friends for coffee and you have it built up in your head that it's going to be this fantastic hour with them and you're expecting you know that they're all going to comment on your nails being done and that doesn't happen a lot of people can tend to bring that in on themselves and then be negative for the rest of the day and it can lead to negative thoughts like well they don't like me they didn't say anything or nobody noticed it and sometimes it's not always that. Sometimes people just don't notice. I think really, really important to manage your expectations. If you manage your expectations, then you manage what you think. You're not let down. You're less likely to go towards the negative part of things. And I think for young people, that tends to be hard. I think when you, just when you mentioned garden, it's, it's easy for weeds to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think with negative thoughts, it's easy for negative thoughts to, to emerge. Yeah. The, the, 
the plants to survive take a little bit of work. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And I mean, with the gardening analogy, I mean, there's one patch that we haven't planted at the minute and every day I look out at it, there's weeds in it. It's a new weed. <laughs> so I go out and I weed it and they grow back and they come again. So exactly yeah. like you said, it's not that you'll never have negative thoughts. It's just being able to identify when you're having and sometimes when we have them I know for myself that I'm definitely engaged in negative thought when I start to lash out so if I snap at my husband well, I was probably an example yesterday um, <laughs> and I snapped at him for something and then I was thinking you know what you're just you're just engaging in negative thoughts and, and he was the offshoot of it that the victim got. the victim <laughs> absolutely and it takes practice it is not easy to be able to identify that you're engaging in those negative thoughts and that you haven't had one single positive thought for a while so it's small incremental changes it's just again coming back to trying to be more aware of who you are and what it is you believe in and and that's utterly hard when you're an adolescent because you're only figuring those things out yeah um but it's having resources that help with that that are really important like youth yeah. services there was a there's a piece of training i used to deliver with hsc on sort of positive mental health and it was based on positive psychology yeah. and one of the techniques that was taught was that for every negative thought you have counteract it with three positive thoughts yeah that's the amount of thoughts you need in order to squeeze out a yeah. And so it's acknowledging that you're going to have them time negative thoughts, but it takes three positive thoughts to. Well, they're much more prolific and they we tend to we will remember the one negative thought far beyond we remember all the positive thoughts. So mm. if I give feedback on an assignment, I'm always conscious of this with students. I might have said good a hundred times in it, but I have one comment, you know, this part doesn't belong here. And that's the part the student will remember. And that's just part of our psychology. We are much more prone to remember the negative than the positive. So it, it's just again about, you know, going back to that assignment and saying, well, you did these things really, really well. It's just you could change this. Yeah. And then you take it as an opportunity to be able to adjust it. And then the next assignment is better. So it's just a learning curve all the time. Mm. And to let young people know that, you know, we're all learning, we're all making mistakes. I would love to show you the revisions of my PhD and what they have said on it. <laughs> just accept that there are negative thoughts and that's OK, because we all all have them and it's also just being aware of the fact that we place more emphasis on them than the positive yeah. so sometimes we're not great at having the skill sets to be able to do anything about it but even acknowledging that we're doing it is a major step to being able to further that uh, and yeah. be able to do something more guys i'm gonna have to bring this to a close there's a lot more questions and hopefully we can go back and address them thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. very welcome thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Till then, slong go foil.